0: You're listening to Bingeworthy, the episodic television and long form narrative conversation on the Playlist Podcast Network. Here's your host, Kimber Myers.
1: Welcome, Playlist Nation, to the inaugural episode of Bingeworthy. We're really excited to expand into television now uh, with peak TV and binge watching ruling our lives when we're not at the theater. And the cultural narrative is really just turning toward the small screen. Today, my guest is our editor in chief, Rodrigo Perez. Welcome, Rodrigo.
0: Well, thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for coming. So what have you been watching lately?
0: Um, What I've been watching? I've been watching, um, trying to watch The Get Down, Baz Luhrmann's uh, Bronx Boogie Down, um, beginning of uh, nascent days of hip-hop and disco. Trying. Um, Trying, because (laughs) it's a little bit trying, the show. Um, I've been watching Halt and Catch Fire. I've been watching uh, Stranger Things, or I have watched Stranger Things. I've done that. And just as a little side thing off to the uh, off to the to the left maybe, which is not really television, but it is, is I've been watching the Decalogue or rewatching the Decalogue, which yes. is Christoph Kieslowski's ten part. It's what I love about it is this ten part series. It's a, uh, it was made for television, so it is a television series. Um, it's about, it's a ten episodes, one hour uh, one hour mini movies, I guess, about um, based on the Ten Commandments. And, you know, this one might be a little bit hard to talk about because you could get into a whole podcast about it, it, it on its <laughs> own. But uh, what I love about it is that, you know, made in 1989, in a way, Kieslowski sort of anticipated binge, worthy, binge uh, watching and, you know, peak TV and all that, like, you know, back in almost 30 years ago, like, because you can binge it. It's 10 episodes and you can just, like, get through the whole thing. Anyhow, it's, uh, it's definitely worth watching and, it's, as many people say, it's kind of a masterpiece.
1: It's so good. I haven't seen it since college, but yeah. it definitely is one of those that I think really benefits from rewatching. Yeah, yeah, so totally. I'll have to find time in the midst of of peak TV.
0: Right, right. How are you supposed to find time when <laughs> it's peak TV and it's everywhere? And um, speaking of that, uh, John is it Lang Langford? Lang- Langraft. Langgraft, right, yeah. right. The head of FX. He had said uh, about a year ago that. Um, We've hit peak TV, and we've hit the peak, and we're we're done. We're we're not going to have any more space. The bandwidth is uh, is over, and we don't have any mo- have any room. And this summer at the the TCA, the Television Critics Association, he said, actually, uh, I'm predicting that uh, we ha- the appetite is still there, the audience is still there, it's still growing, and we probably have at least another year until. Uh, uh, peak TV has reached its peak so uh, I, I don't know how do you feel about that?
1: <laughs> um, terrified I feel like this mounting panic because even now I, I think about my uh, my watch list on, on Netflix and the just numerous hours on my DVR and I probably watch more TV than the average person and I still don't know how I'm going to to catch up but yeah I thought he had great insight a year ago and hearing him kind of really emphasize that this year and just that it's going to continue from netflix in particular he really laid into netflix with really they like i think he said they have 70 originals which is insane like that's wow
0: but that's ca- counting like kid shows exactly. and stuff like that right
1: yeah so i imagine it's counting the kid shows and some of the some of which
0: are very good yeah because <laughs> i've seen it with my kid <laughs> puff and rock big ups to puff and rock <laughs>
1: I will have to uh, to check that out next time I'm, I'm babysitting some that's of these good, kids. good, good. So I can distract them a little yeah. bit. Um, yeah, so just a huge number of originals. And even if you were to just watch Netflix shows, I don't know how you have time to do that. And right. I think that's why, I mean, I waited a little bit on Stranger Things, but ended up falling pretty hard and, and fast when it really took off. Into but, the yeah, K-hole. The yeah, Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, that was one I definitely binged in like I think only two increments, which for me is is a lot. So
0: Stranger Things is one that like you know obviously it's dominated the the cultural conversation this this summer. It's like in many ways uh, outweighed the the the, the cinematic uh, film conversation this summer. It's been this like massive phenomenon. It was like nobody knew who the Duffer Brothers were. <laughs> now they're like now they're you know the next young Spielbergs who are going to have they're doing a season two it was just recently announced um they're probably after that they're going to have like you know the, the world is their oyster and they're going to have every option to do anything they want um it's it's amazing to see people just like bang and like they're on the scene and they're like they're part of things now you know like they are um they're they're tv people they're they're established they're like ones to watch now um so that's pretty amazing um, and of course uh, Stranger Things Stranger Things is one of those things that I was like uh, or one of those shows that I was like I oh, think it's good you know and then I got really really sucked <laughs> in it and, and, and it's like it's not perfect but it's really really watchable like it's really easy to get sucked into that K-hole because yeah. it's really enjoyable
1: I, I agree, and I would tend to take something that is really interesting and really watchable over something that's perfect any day of the week. Um, yeah, and I, I watched a lot of that and heard some of the, the criticism. I know uh, we recently, on our um, regular playlist podcast, Eric McClanahan had uh, Andrew Matthews, the director of Zero Charisma, uh, who wrote a piece for the Talk House talking about plot blocking. Um, which is where you introduce either bits or characters to really uh, just slow things down, so that you can obstacles. Yeah, <laughs> um, and wasn't really he wasn't really a huge fan of the show, which was interesting to hear as somebody who was really into it to hear the issues. Um, but for me, I wanna I wanna judge TV differently than film. Um, I, I think that there are different criteria there that. Um, You shouldn't necessarily judge it in the same way, even though it seems like the same medium, and sometimes you're watching it on the same platform and and things like that. I think that they can be looked at in different ways, even though there's a lot of overlap in terms of talent and viewing methods, etc.
0: Yeah, like a lot of, obviously a lot of filmmakers, the stigma of television is gone. You know, you see Kirsten Dunst and all these people... On, on, she's on Fargo, and and there's that stigma's gone. Like Clive Owen on the Nick, like for a long time now. Like it's it's a it's a fertile, uh, it's it's like you know it's becoming the, it's becoming the new independent cinema, or it's becoming um, the mid-budget movie that's gone because now it's the have and the have-nots, and we've got gigantic blockbusters that cost three hundred million, or we have micro budgets, and we don't have we don't even have independent cinema anymore, and we don't have the twenty million dollar movie. So television's become the independent movie slash the the mid-budget movie that sort of went the way of the dinosaur a little bit, um, here or there, you know, there's some people like David O. Russell who can, and, you know, uh, uh, Tony Gilroy and those people who can still find that medium ground, but yeah, uh, it's gone that way. And, oh, back to, to, so your point about plot blocking, yes. um, about that, because it's sort of one of my beefs in, in television as well. Um, you know, it's, we were talking about this earlier, like, off, off mic, is that um, film, you have to con- condense a story into 90 minutes or two hours. And TV, you, the, the, the supposed advantage is that you can elongate and stretch your story. Um, the problem is some stories don't justify, you know, even one season or two seasons or five seasons. I, I love um, – did you see The Night Manager?
1: Yeah. yeah. it was
0: great, Fantastic. right? Like six episodes or something super really self-contained. Tight. You know, it's funny American audiences go, "Oh yeah, that's great," but like in the UK and Europe, they do that all the time. <laughs> and they'll do like a mini series with three episodes and they'll do thi- and it's really tight, really economic and that stuff's awesome. I want to see more of that. I want to see less taken expanding because that's where you get into plot blocking. You have this this narrative that doesn't justify even in a, a one season, and then you have to include obstacle, obstacle. I used to call it um, uh, before that term came out. I used to call it like sort of like like chess moves, like lateral chess moves, because yeah. I used to like I was a big fan of Boardwalk Empire for a certain period of time, and then it really got frustrating because like for example, that show was like introduce a new villain, that that, and then episode. Eight and nine, the final ones, or whatever number it was. Ten and eleven are, like, where things actually happen. And it's sort of like Game of Thrones, too. Like, those last two episodes of Game of Thrones where, like, everything really happens. And in the middle is, like, slow-moving narrative, lateral chess moves, like, you know. And so it was, like, Boardwalk was like that. It's like, first episode, introduce the villain, uh, introduce the stakes of that season. And then lateral, lateral, safe, conservative chess moves. And then at the last two episodes, bang, bang, going for the, you know, going for your checkmate, going for the queen and like really going for it.
1: Yeah. Jessica Jones, I thought, had a similar issue. I really liked this first season overall, but I think around maybe like the two thirds point, it slowed way down and it felt like they were trying to really delay that that final showdown um, during that season. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity and I'm curious to see what they do in season two, whenever we get it, like, what, 2018, 2019? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that, even on Netflix, where it shouldn't be an issue, where you're not playing to the traditional season or having to work with a schedule, they still, I think, are, are encountering that problem that that regular TV comes into as well.
0: Um, what about Luke Cage? You looking forward to that?
1: I'm so excited. <laughs> so, I mean, A, I thought, um, Mike Coulter was great in I've never seen Jessica Jones. Oh, um, he, okay,
0: yeah, he was in that, right? I haven't yeah, seen Jessica Jones. Um,
1: it's worth it. I mean, I think maybe you could watch, like, the first few episodes and then the last few. Not that I am endorsing that, <laughs> that viewing method, but Peak TV, you gotta, you gotta right, make choices. Right, right, right. Um, no, but I He's think good? it's great. He's really wonderful. They were great together, and... Hearing it described as, I think it was, like, superheroes, but in, like, the Wu-Tang universe. Like, I don't think, like, that's explicitly what it is, but there's a lot of hip-hop references and on the soundtrack. And so I, I think it'll be interesting and also... I think they're supposed to be moving it out of Hell's Kitchen and Hell's Kitchen in like air quotes. It's
0: uh, going to um it's Harlem. Going to Harlem right, yeah, right.
1: So maybe they'll actually shoot it in Harlem or make it look like Harlem versus fake Hell's Kitchen fake from, Hell's from Kitchen. Daredevil and Jessica Jones which is really Brooklyn. But
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, like when they have the shots where it they're clearly shooting the Manhattan skyline from Brooklyn and it's supposed to be Hell's Kitchen still. It's like, no, you that's my bigger problem. I don't believe that that they're in Hell's Kitchen versus like this woman has superhero strength and and speed. That's far easier to buy.
0: Right, but. right. Um, getting back to to because we were talking about plot blocking and and Stranger Things. What what's your what was your favorite element of what's your favorite part about Stranger Things?
1: I really liked the both the overall world that they build, and I would love. I'm excited to see more of that in. In season two, whether it's actually delving into the upside down more, or just kind of exploring the the crazy, creepy um, government conspiracy, there, I think that that's fascinating. I also really liked the interplay between, particularly the the young boys. I thought that that was with Eleven in particular, but. I mean, Dustin's adorable, and...
0: I think that's the, the key to the show. Like, Absolutely. Like, if you have problems with the plot or you have problems with the narrative, I get that. But those kids are so endearing and so, so charming, good. and their interactions are so great. It, that's the part that, like, it makes you forgive everything. And also, I want to adopt Eleven because she's amazing. And, like, that, that kid's, like, she's going to be a star, man. Oh, yeah. my God.
1: it's amazing. Like, they did such a great job with casting on that show. And casting kids is really tough because so many shows and movies don't get it right and yeah. it it messes with I think the entire the entire film when you have these kids that don't feel realistic or feel like they're trying too hard or lack energy and it's tough too as a critic. I, I never really wanna like lay <laughs> into the kids. Right. Yeah, I mean they're still still young and but it really can ruin that whole experience. I'm
0: slightly bummed by the fact that there's a season two. <laughs> um, I love the way it ended in that it felt like it could go on, but it also felt self-contained. And, I, right and right. then, and then I read an interview with the Duffer Brothers, and they said the exact same thing. They wanted to create something that was um, uh, that, it, that it had a finality to it, but they were leaving the door open in case it could go on. But like to me, it felt like there were nice little teasers, but like. It didn't feel like a Marvel thing where, like, tune in next week for the next movie and the next story. <laughs> you know what I mean? It felt like, to me, like, oh, this world could still exist. Because it's got, like, that E.T.-ish, like, Amblin-Spielberg thing, which they end on these notes that, like, you imagine, like, all oh, these things could exist. And But it's, it's sort of better in your imagination, like, that these stories can go on. And so I felt it was a little bit like that where, like... They didn't necessarily need a season two, so I'm slightly—one uh, side of me is really um, uh, anticipating and uh, really want to see those kids again and their dynamic, and then uh, another part of me is like, ah, uh, you didn't really need to—like, like again, the eight episodes, the European, the six episodes, I kind of love that. I yeah. just want—if I had my way, I, like, almost all shows would be like that, or at least each season— mm-hmm. If you're gonna, if you have to do more seasons, you really have to stretch out your thing, I'd love each season to be about, like, six episodes.
1: Would you have preferred them to take the anthology route for Stranger Things, or...?
0: Yeah, I think that would have been a good idea. Yeah, the anthology route's a a pretty interesting um, way to do television.
1: Yeah, I mean, I really like it on Fargo. I'm a little less enamored of it on uh, American horror story but mm. I don't know if that's so much the anthology as I'm just done with the show right
0: but right. <laughs> I've never seen it and it looks like it's too it looks like it's too cheese ball for me
1: it um, it's at once cheese ball and incredibly disturbing so, huh. and it was ultimately the, uh, the disturbing bits that you know
0: what's gonna be anthology which is really interesting I haven't seen uh, season two of, of Fargo but I saw season one and enjoyed it um, I hear season two lets go of like the Coen Brothers and the references and then it becomes its own thing and has its more of its own identity, which I'm looking forward to because I, that's just sort of the parts. I'm like, it's not necessary. You yeah. don't need to like have the winky wink, like Coen Brothers thing. Um, but uh, um, yeah, like the Nick is going to be yeah. anthology because they did two epi- two seasons of that and that ended. And from what I understand, they're totally blowing it up and redoing it. It's going to be a different cast. It's going to be a whole different thing. Um And then they're also doing that, I didn't expect this, but apparently they're doing that with the girlfriend experience too.
1: Yeah, it's, I think the new thing, especially for prestige television where you have somebody like a Steven Soderbergh um, involved where it really, it gives you the creative freedom to explore a story in six hours, eight hours, et cetera. um, But you're not hemmed in by the fact that you're going to have to continue to tell this story for years and years.
0: Yeah, being locked in kind of sucks, right? Yeah. I mean, then you turn into, like, uh, the 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 pre-age of, of television that, that was just like, you know, you turn into The Simpsons, where, like, Homer Simpson's now on space. Yeah. Or Homer Simpson's in the jungle. And you just, I mean, that's, for years, that's what television was, and it was pretty terrible.
1: Yeah, I mean, as much as when they announced that The Americans was only going to have two more seasons, as sad as I am that I'm only getting, like, like 12 episodes or whatever, (laughs) of of that show, I am excited that they have an endpoint to work toward and really trust that uh, Joel Weisberg and Joe Fields will not have to pad at all and will really be able to create a great story that will get those characters where they need to be.
0: The Americans is a show I haven't watched, but my wife watches it (laughs) and, like... So I get sucked into, like, just certain episodes because she just, like, she, I just catch an episode yeah. here and there. And I'm always like, oh, God, I really got to watch this show. <laughs> and everybody says it. You know, everybody says that show's great. Like, Ollie's always talking about it. And, um, yeah, it's, I guess, one to catch up on. Um, what, what do you think of uh, The Get Down?
1: So I actually just finished it this morning. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. no. Prepping for, that, uh, for this, which is some fun homework. It's. I think it gets better. How far are you into
0: it? I'm th- three, three epi- three or four episodes in, okay. and it's like, I'm I'm almost ready to bail on it, but I think <laughs> I'm. It's not that long, right? It's no, eight? it's
1: only it's six episodes.
0: Oh, okay. Well, then I yeah. can finish that. Yeah, that's not that hard.
1: Yeah, it's. I I love Baz Luhrmann, and it's still even in the episodes that. Aren't directed by him, which I think he only directed the first one.
0: Right. Um, I thought it was I at first I thought he had directed the whole thing.
1: Yeah, and I'm as much as I love him, I'm glad he didn't just because that first episode was relentless in its energy and that's
0: ninety minutes and it feels like three hours. <laughs> it's
1: so long and it feels longer. Um yeah, but I I enjoy that world and that's kind of a nice contrast to things like Stranger Things where it feels a bit more grounded in reality, although I mean, it's still Baz Luhrmann's
0: version. Right. I mean, it's really theatrical. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And really over the top. And, yeah, I can't... I mean, I'll I'll finish it, but... uh, And I like Baz Luhrmann, too. Like, Jessica, Jessica Kiang, hates Baz Luhrmann. And (laughs) and we've been going on a lot of that, and just conversations on Slack and stuff. And I almost want her to write a piece on, like, why I hate Baz Luhrmann, (laughs) because she just, like, detests him, like, everything he does. And... I don't love him either, but I. I there are certain elements that, that he does that I do like. Um, I do like Moulin Rouge. I think it's really good. Um, and I actually even kind of liked the elements of Australia.
1: That's something I haven't heard before. <laughs> yeah, I
0: know, I know. Um, but yeah, Baz is a. I don't know. It's so over time. But you know what's interesting is like the other directors, like Ed Bianchi, who mm-hmm. did episodes of. I mean everything. Ed yeah. Bianchi's like a veteran who's done. I believe The Sopranos. He did Boardwalk Empire. So he's much done, stuff. I think he might even did, maybe done an episode of Vinyl.
1: Oh,
0: oh poor Vinyl. That's
1: interesting. <laughs> uh, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm yeah. wrong. But
0: um, uh, he's part of that whole like um, the post David Chase. Uh, who's the showrunner of uh, Vinyl? Um, Terry. Terry Winter.
1: Pinterest.
0: Terry. Yeah, Terry thank Terrence, you. Terrence Winter. And <laughs> Terrence Winter obviously was on Boardwalk, so he's part of that kind of crew. You know, yeah. those, like, and obviously he does everything, but. Um, I guess my point is I found it really remarkable how those guys um, really took uh, Lerman's imprimatur imprimatur and and really, like, it all feels like Lerman to me. Um, And then I'd, you know, go to the end of an episode and be like, oh, he didn't track that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's always a surprise. I feel like it lacks the, like, utter freneticness of that first episode, which is good. Um, But, yeah, it feels, between the intercutting between different locations as well as um, the way that music functions and that I think in each episode there's a really great musical scene that I'm like this is this is what I want I want this energy throughout but I also don't necessarily want it to be all musical all the time
0: Right. One of the things I do like about it because I love transitions in, in, in cinema or in, in just media like a good transition is like gold and uh, they use the subway as a kind of wipe yeah. Subway comes by and it's like cut to the next scene it just it's it's the the, the show's white and but it's it's a, it's a it's a clever one
1: yeah so moving on to other period shows you're watching halt and catch fire
0: yeah the 1980s uh show about sort of the wild 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 west of uh personal computers and and uh sort of like as if uh steve jobs and uh um, Microsoft head, which I'm going... Uh, um, Bill
1: Gates. Bill Gates, thank
0: you. <laughs> I had a brain fart. Uh, Bill Gates. It's, it's imagining like that kind of thing of, in the early 80s when they're fighting for dominance and um, uh, this is season three now and uh, it's interesting because Halt and Catch Fire was... I, I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna give myself a little bit of shine I don't normally do this but like I called it the the best show on television you're not watching in season one and nobody watched it in season <laughs> one and critics didn't like it in season yeah. one and critics like panned it and um a lot of people uh especially uh Ollie Ollie Littleton who does uh Littleton um who does uh I can't sorry Ollie he's always really good at predicting he watches a lot of television too you should have him on the show and, and um he's really good at predicting what's going to get canned and, and and sort of like he's just like he's on it on top of that kind of thing. And, you know, we all thought that Halt and Catch Fire was going to get canned. That was it. And it ended in a way season one where it blew itself up, so mm-hmm. it could have ended. It, it was perfectly kind of um, written in, in this way that's like if it ends here, it's fine. Like you won't be, you won't have questions, you won't really, it, it, it had finality to it. But it got picked up and now critics love it. And what I find sort of ironic and funny is that, um, it's the same show. (laughs) It's not, it's not really any different. Yeah. And, and, and people seem to like go, oh my God, this is a fantastic show now. And it's like, it was always good. (laughs) And, uh, the core thing that's great about it is the cast. The cast is terrific. Uh, Lee Pace, um, Scoot, uh, McNary. Is it Scoot or Scout? Scoot. It is Scoot. (laughs) He's great. Um, uh, Mackenzie Davis who I love I'm totally in love with her she's an amazing actress and she's getting massive work and she's gonna turn into the next Felicity Jones like you know Felicity yeah. Jones is in Rogue One and give it a year or two and Mackenzie Davis is gonna have those roles um, and Carrie Bichet or Bichet I don't know how to pronounce her name yeah, but they're, Bichet uh, Bichet yeah they're all terrific they're really really um uh, compelling uh, actors and what's really cool about season three is that the the two females have become sort of the leads of the show now um, it's sort of twisted because before it was Lee Pace and Scoot and it was a male thing and, and now the dynamic has shifted towards the female leads because they're running um, the company Mutiny which is like sort of the, the startup, the the pre, pre-startup startup of mm-hmm. the 1980s and uh, I'm only five episodes in because that's all they gave press but uh I was a little bit frustrated with it because there was a lot of plot blocking, actually. Okay. Um, a lot of, like, lateral side stuff and, um, you know, it was just getting a little bit aggravating. But as I've said before, like, it's hard to review a show I and mean, you only watched half of it. It's like reading half a book and, and someone's saying, well, well, how's the book? And it's like, well, I haven't finished it yet, so I don't know. Like, And that's, um, unfortunately, the, the problem of, uh, of television for a lot of critics is we don't Get the whole thing, and so you have to sort of. That's why I try not to fully review. I try and do a little bit of recap. We've discussed how it's hard, but mm-hmm. but it's it's hard to to put a stamp on. And we talked about this with Daredevil.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that. Um, I think we were only given the first seven or eight episodes, and with that, you miss out on the big mid season reveal of a returning character. We'll say for anybody that's mm-hmm. still behind on. On Daredevil, um, and I think it would have bumped up my review, like maybe a letter grade. It I thought improved a lot of the problems that were present in that first half, and I I got lambasted in the uh, <laughs> in the comments section like no other um, review I've written. So that was that was fun. I, yeah, I, I liked reading them aloud.
0: <laughs> I don't <laughs> don't read the comments. I should be on a T shirt. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I didn't, I didn't like it as much as you did, but um, certainly it does get better in its yeah. last half. Hey, folks, we're cutting in for a second. There's not just Binge Worthy, our TV podcast. The Playlist Podcast Network also features our mothership, the creatively titled The Playlist Podcast. Playlist podcast editor Eric McClanahan's Adjust Your Tracking and the Over Under podcast, which talks overrated and underrated movies. You can subscribe to all these podcasts on the Playlist podcast on iTunes. Yes, we do love that name. They're all there in one place. Please rate us, leave us a comment, and uh, tell a friend. Okay, back to the show. Um, I will give a shout out because we're here, and it's not really a shout out, it's a shout down. But that whole, um, the whole, the long stairway.
1: Fight yes. thing, which
0: uh, you know they're probably going to do that every every <laughs> season now, which is to me is lame. It's like don't keep trying to re- yeah. have this cornerstone thing that you always do, and the shout down to that it was completely animated. Like there's almost I don't even I'm not even sure if Daredevil is a human being in that <laughs> that thing. It's like 100 percent animated and it looks really bad in my opinion.
1: Yeah, especially compared to the first season equivalent, which I thought looked great. And it was shot with actual people. Yeah, it looked and felt very real and. We definitely missed out in uh, in season two, and I really hope that they don't try to rectify it in season three because, yeah, you can't can't have too much repetition.
0: Um.
1: So let's switch gears a little bit instead of talking about specific shows and in switching to talking about TV taking over film, um, where, like you kind of alluded to at the beginning, where. What everybody's been talking about this summer is TV, and they haven't really been talking about a lot of the, the big movies or even the smaller movies. Nothing's really caught fire with audiences quite like Stranger Things.
0: Right, and so the question is, um, is that because it's a bad year uh, for movies, which yes, yeah. but or um, is, is television just taking over? Is it because our viewing habits are changing, the way how we digest media is changing? Um, a lot of people are watching uh, media at home. Or on their iPads, and because you can watch it on your iPad, you probably watch it at home, or on your computer, or on your any some sort of laptop device, or your iWatch. Where are you gonna probably be watching all those things at home?
1: Yeah, it definitely changes how you watch, what you watch, and how much you watch. Um, it is much easier just to sit on your couch or sit while you're on your commute and watch a show, but I think or a movie. But I think that that really can, for some things, not be the ideal experience. The, this is my poor mother watched the piano on her phone. I'm like, that's. Oh, that's, that's, not that's how heartbreaking. You watch the piano. <laughs> no, that's not how you watch the piano. Um, yeah, so I think it's. I don't want to sound like a snob or an old person, but I, I do think that there are things that shouldn't be watched in that, especially that small of a format.
0: Absolutely. And, I mean, I don't. I think movies should be seen on the big screen if possible. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's hard to do these days when I mean it, when you got so much going on and like traveling to a screener. I know boohoo, like everyone's <laughs> going to be like, but but I, I think it's a um, it's becoming a norm. It's that 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 it's like a cultural thing, whether it's uh, dominating movies or not. I don't know. I think it's too premature to say that personally. Um, I mean, I'm certainly moving into television more than I am movies, but that's a certain a little bit of the circumstances of my life because I got two kids and I got, you know, an eight eight month old child that that's, uh, that takes up a lot of my life. So it's it's easier to watch media at home, um, but I still feel like it's shifting for everybody. Like you don't have kids and you watch a lot of television. I watch
1: a lot of television. I still watch a lot of movies, but in many ways the i mean the experience is still broken at a lot of the big theater chains where you can have disruptive people or the sound mm. balance is off and
0: yeah i can't really go to a public screening i mean because <laughs> i don't want to be a snob but like when people are talking on their phones i can't do it i yeah. get i get upset and um, so I'll, you know i try and do the, the press screenings but sometimes i can't make those so i don't see anything and then i so i have to end up watching it at home like i finally caught up with midnight special and i watched wow. it at home
1: yeah, and I think the unfortunate thing, too, is that it's not even so much just the films that are so beautifully shot that they should be seen on a big screen, but there are other types of films, whether it's comedies or horror movies, that really do well when you have that energy of the other people in the audience. Mm-hmm. That Comedies generally aren't as funny when you're watching them. At home alone on your couch, or you're watching them on the subway with your headphones in, and you're that weirdo laughing. Um, yeah, that's right. yeah. You're
0: absolutely right. The communal experience is probably best in horror and comedy. Yeah. Even Soderbergh's *The Nick* is incredibly cinematic. Uh, the girlfriend experience by the the two people that that uh, Soderbergh um, uh, hired, Amy um, Simons. Am I yeah. pronouncing that right? Amy Simons and, and uh, Ken. Uh, well, I'm sorry, I forget his name. <laughs> uh, he directed uh, Clean Shaven, which is awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, God, his name is escaping me. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's really cinematic in its own kind of way. I mean, it's it's small scale, but it's still what they do with, like, you know, because it's all in apartments, and it's yeah. still, like, you know, it's pretty, like, almost, like, chamber drama-ish. But they make that as, as, as cinematic as you can, you know? Um, I think they do a really good job with it. And then, obviously, Baz Luhrmann and all these people, Moving into television, they're they're making it more cinematic because, you know, there's fil- they're filmmakers, right? Um, unfortunately, we missed out on, I think it was three David Fincher shows <laughs> that we were supposed to get. We were supposed to get Video Sync yeah. Crazy, which was his music video, his, uh, like, sort of, uh, like, almost in a way of Halt and Catch Fire, the Wild West of, like, music videos in the 1980s and 90s. And then there was supposed to be... Um, Utopia, mm-hmm. um, which got canned as well, and then there was a third one he was developing, and it's probably dead too because I think HBO is dead. To d- de- it's de- HBO is dead to, to David Fincher yeah. because they canned Video Sing Crazy as it was in production, like three or four episodes in, they just canned it. So I think he was like, "All right, fuck you." Yeah. And but the, the so he had another show in development, and now and I'm sure HBO owns that, but he was doing one with um, uh, it was the 1950s with James Elroy.
1: Oh, this that's this right. is a
0: 1950s kind of crime thing, which would have been awesome. So we've been. HBO robbed us of, <laughs> uh, of three David Fincher, ideally, hopefully, cinematic TV shows that we'll probably never see. Um, and, and speaking of H- HBO, they've been really struggling this year.
1: Yeah, this has not been a fantastic year for them. Although I did, through all its problems, I really liked The Night of.
0: Oh, yeah. I miss that. I need to catch up on that.
1: Yeah, it has. I think in terms of what it makes its characters do for its ends and certainly some, some plot blocking there, even over just eight episodes, um, and particularly the female characters, they're all tasked with doing things that don't seem true to themselves and really um, mm, universally are pretty that. terrible. Um, That's too bad. Yeah, um, but otherwise it's perfectly acted, of course, by... John in particular, mm. and it has a really wonderful sense of of New York that you don't get from from shooting elsewhere. And um, I, I think it's worth watching, and I'll be curious to see what they do in season two, if there is a season two with a clean slate. But I think the, the season finale had been building on the ratings of the previous episodes and had like 7 million
0: viewers. Wow, numbers, that's which good, is,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, especially for a show without huge marquee names that's right. not built on a previous property, um, I think they should be really happy with that. Right. I
0: think Vinyl, they were saying, got like two million or less. Yeah. Oh, Vinyl. <laughs> there,
1: there you go. There was a
0: show that was completely cinematic. Martin Scorsese directed yeah. that first episode. And that first episode was terrible. It's
1: unwatchable. And,
0: and, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Vinyl, I think it finished its, yeah, it finished its first season and it got shit canned and it was, sorry, not good. I mean, Martin Scorsese is amazing, but, uh, I'm sorry, not everything that every great no. auteur does is automatically great, you know? And unfortunately, that show was not great.
1: Speaking of which, are you looking forward to the Woody
0: Allen show? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, on Amazon, Amazon
1: Prime, yeah. That's
0: right. Uh, Crisis and Six Scenes?
1: I think so, yeah. Or
0: Six Scenes in Crisis. Crisis and Six Scenes, I think it is. Hopefully. That I, right. hope I hope that's <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, I am really looking forward to that. I mean, that'll be interesting. It's 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, 30 minutes, ap- six 30-minute episodes. Correct, um, I think he talked about, uh, like, I think even before he, he wrote it, he was, he was sort of suggesting, because it was supposed to be six hours long. It was supposed to be one, I, I think it was supposed to be one-hour episodes uh, going on for six episodes, and um, I think it was like, no, fuck that. It was, and so, I mean, a 30-minute Woody Allen thing going over, you know, six episodes. I'm very curious to see what that's like.
1: Yeah, I'll give it, I, I had declared after Cafe Society that I was, I was done with him mm, I <laughs> um, seen that yet. for, for both um, artistic as well as like ethical reasons, Reason. <laughs> but, um, which I think also manifest in the movie, Right. Uh, but it's going to be really hard to not watch it when it's just right there and I'm not actively giving it my money. Right.
0: right. <laughs> um, what else is coming up on Amazon Prime? Um, So
1: they have a few pilots right now. They have I Love Dick, which is the new Jill Soloway.
0: Oh, I totally want to see that.
1: Which, um, yeah, I haven't watched any of these yet. But so they have that one, which and the cast is really good. It's Katherine Hahn, who's so good in general and specifically so good on Transparent. Um, And then they also have the new Tick, which is supposed to be a little bit darker than the previous incarnations. Mm. And there's a third one as well, who's slipping my brain, but I'm less excited about it than The Tick and I Love Tick because, I mean, just by default, it's got to be less exciting than those two. Um, (laughs) Apologies to the team behind that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is is there anything else coming up in the fall, like big shows that... uh...
1: I guess the opposite of a big show. Um, I'm excited for Rectify's season or series, final series. Uh, What season is that? It's it's the 4th. Season, um, so that'll be in October. I'm super excited for that. On HBO, I'm looking forward to Westworld, despite all the
0: that one had a lot of problems. Yeah, <laughs> a lot that, that got shut down. They almost canned it. Um,
1: yeah, that'll yeah. that'll and that's a lot of money, I'm sure. Yes, so yes. They, they need that to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also excited for Insecure. The uh, Issa Rae, the Awkward Black Girl videos. Oh, okay. That looks really good. Yes, 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 Um, yes. That's right. Yeah. In terms of network stuff, like broadcast networks. um,
0: Mm, Maybe not so much.
1: Not a ton of stuff. Well, FX is good. Yeah, well, if we're counting FX, like I'm super excited for um, uh, Atlanta, the Donald Mm -hmm. Glover show. Yeah. And uh, also check out, I've seen the first episode of. Better Things, the Pamela Adlin show, which, so she worked a lot on Louie and has worked a lot with Louis C.K., and it feels very similar. Mm-hmm. So I'll be curious oh, to see yeah, how Oh, yeah, 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 no, no, yeah,
0: and now Pamela, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I'll be curious to see how they expand beyond that, because the first episode I was like, oh, I feel like I've seen this before, and I really like what I've seen, uh-huh. but um, if it can move past that, I think it'll be really great. And then You're the Worst started up this week, which right. is my comedy oh so really I love it so Holly much Ollie loves it too it's the best thing it is mean and nasty and sweet and hilarious huh. and, um, yeah I, I think it's great I highly recommend it to everyone except people who are uh, bothered by, by meanness on screen
0: <laughs> huh, interesting um it's funny, like, I'm trying – you're mentioning all these shows, and I'm like, uh, am I – I'm sort of, like, cool on a lot of them, or at least maybe I'll watch them and they'll be great. Yeah. Uh, what I'm really looking forward to is Transparent Season 3 because I think Transparent's like, the greatest show on television. It's really um, great. Aside from maybe The Nick, those two are, like, neck and neck for me. Um, I think Transparent is, like – if I had to rank Transparent, um, which I kind of have done before, but if I had to rank – like, I'm, I'm thinking of doing – because it's uh, the lines are blurring so much that I'm thinking of doing, like, the top ten favorite things I've watched this year rather than Ooh. my top ten films. And I've, I think I did that last year. I can't remember. Or I've done, like, there one year when I actually didn't write a list, but I wrote it myself, and I had, like, I put yeah. television on it. Anyhow, this year I'm thinking of just doing a list where I'm just, like, this is what I watched and my fav- fav- favorite things. And I'm going to, like, put television with film, and I think, you know, it's going to be sacrilegious for, for a lot of people. But, you know, that's fine.
1: Yeah, but I think that also covers a few things that don't quite fit neatly into one Beckett or the other, like the ESPN OJ Simpson. Oh yes, which like
0: right, which is television, but it's like so cinematic yeah. and it's incredible.
1: And had its premiere um, and actually like played in theaters briefly right. for and, the brave and, souls that could sit there for that long. Right,
0: and, it, and it debuted at Tribeca, yeah, right? Exactly. But it's really a TV series. It's like a, a mini
1: series. Yeah. Yeah,
0: so I... You're right. That's a great example of one that's really, really blurred the lines, right?
1: Yeah, I don't know how to classify that one because I've already been thinking about that end-of-the-year list, even though it's only September.
0: Right. If you're going to consider the best documentaries of the year, that's got to be, like, right up there. Yeah. You know, like, it's going to be buying... The the top three is going to be, like, boxing it out, right?
1: Yeah. But also, absolutely, with the best television of the year. So, have to choose one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, transparent for me, and then beyond that I don't know I mean I, my memory is kind of bad for that sort of, I'm still really looking forward to twin Peaks in 2017 yeah. at some point so <laughs> I'm like looking ahead kind of but yeah
1: yeah David Lynch will break my heart again yeah so I think we've we've covered what we've been most excited about this summer as well as what's coming down the pike and thanks for listening to the first episode of bingeworthy we'll be back soon
0: great thanks for having me too um, thanks for tuning in
1: find us on soundcloud you can find us on itunes and you can also find the podcast posted on our home theplaylist.net on itunes please subscribe and consider leaving a comment or wave or pod all feedback is appreciated you can find me at the creatively titled at kimber myers myers on twitter and we'll see you next time